0: There are so many statements made about sleep, and you could hear two contradictory statements from two sources. Two things to consider are confirmation bias and bioindividuality. Confirmation bias is our tendency to find the statements that allow us to confirm what we want to believe. Bioindividuality is that no two people are the same. In today's podcast, we will answer three questions. Is there a magical number of hours of sleep we need? Does more sleep mean it is better for your body? Is there a difference between sleeping the same number of hours at one time versus another? Dr. Shweta Kanchan was very clear that she wanted to set out to debunk some of the common sleep myths out there. This two-part episode explores very common statements that you might hear. Dr. Shweta Kanchan is a sleep specialist who got fascinated with sleep medicine and carried out postdoctoral research work at King George's Medical College. She has several publications in various national and international journals and her work on sleep during COVID-19 pandemic was published in the prestigious Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine is certified by the prestigious World Sleep Society and also holds the RPSGT credential which is gold standard certification of sleep technology. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, a light functional medicine practitioner author in Guinea, and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. The only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, Let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Dr. Shweta Kanchan, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast and No, in the sleep space, one of the things that you notice a lot is a lot of uh, statements about sleeping mentioned. And even in health practitioner space, you will see that there are some blanket statements made about sleep and which is why I was very fascinated when you brought up the topic of debunking the sleep myths. And there are so many of them and really we want to dive a bit deep because um, truly I resonated with what you said that there is no one size fits all when it comes to sleep. And I think there is a lot of subtlety there. Uh, Let's begin by what brought you into the space of sleep, because this is uh, um, seeing someone who's focused the work on sleep is ever fascinating to me. But what brought you there? Did you have your own personal sleep struggles or someone close to you? What brought you on the sleep trail?
1: So hi Deepa and first of all thank you so much for inviting me to this uh, podcast of yours it's it's been a great experience for me till now talking with you discussing things and now that we have finally reached the point where we are conversing this topic is uh, actually uh, very close to my heart like what are the myths and facts about sleep and how we go about debunking them so the first part of your question was yes it's very true there's no uh, it isn't a magic solution for everyone there isn't a blanket solution. Sleep is very much individualized. It is very much different from person to person because just like our genotypes and phenotypes, our bodies are different. So it's sleep sleep different and the needs for sleep are different for each one of us. And that needs to be understood uh, by even the medical practitioners very clearly. But till now that is not happening because sleep as such is not a part of the medical curriculum. So that is a very unfortunate part. Now how, how I got into it was once I completed my MD in 2013. So I was working in a medical college and also in a hospital, which was very close to my place. I used to go there. And many times while visiting um, while seeing patients in the OPD, they used to always say, some kind of sleep problems. Like we don't feel, you don't get good sleep. And most of the time what doctors, we had some kind of over-the-counter treatment or some sleep aids for them. And there were patients of who had a lot of snoring, then we used to advise them sleep studies. But unfortunately, sleep study was very new, even to me and other practitioners over there. So I advise it for my patients for deciphering it. I found it so enchanting, EGS and EMGs and ECGs all together. 32 channels were all placed together. And it was a beauty to study it for eight hours at the night. I mean, at a stretch, I was seeing everything happening. The entire body physiology changing. So uh, my journey into sleep has been... Uh, something which is uh, something which I really, when I look back, it seems fascinating now, and it seems as if I was destined into it. So I did my MD in 2013, and then I was working in a hospital, which is near to my home. Uh, whenever I used to go there, most of the patients, they often had complaints about they couldn't sleep well at night. And I always thought what, as doctors, most of the time we do was prescribing their medications, some kind of counseling, but nothing more than that. There were other patients with some other sleep difficulties, we used to get sleep studies done for them. But sleep studies as such for me, and also my colleagues, it was something so new. It was a kind of a study where we have 32 channels which are measuring all the body physiological parameters like the EMGs, the brain waves, the ECGs, and the airflow, and so many things at, uh, at the same time. So being a physiologist, I found that very interesting and also it was like challenging that I should be able to decipher what's going on these eight hours at night and, uh, and and also to be able to, you know, correlate it clinically with the patient's symptoms. And further, I really felt that if I, this field is so interesting, I should read more about it. I should further explore, uh, you know, go in depth into it so that I can really get the answer to my questions. There were so many questions I had at that time. And throughout these years, I've felt that yes, to, to an extent, some answers I've got, but I still feel this field is so broad and I'm still learning. But it is it still fascinates me the day it did uh, the, on the day one when
0: I was introduced to it. I think Shweta one thing that immediately popped in my mind was Mm -hmm. I think we should have you back later to do an episode on what is a sleep study because people are always wondering and Mm -hmm. when you spoke about how many things go into the sleep study I myself was fascinated so we will probably do another episode on sleep studies but coming back to debunking sleep myths one of the things that we commonly hear is that Um, you need eight hours of sleep. So this seems to be some sort of a blanket statement. And we've discussed this a little bit in pre some episodes on Ayurveda, where we look at how different body constitutions need different hours of sleep. And sometimes maybe If you're sleeping less, it doesn't mean that you need less, but something's going on in the physiology, which is preventing you from sleeping longer. So do you feel it's a myth or a fact when someone says there's this fixed number of hours needed to sleep? So it's a
1: myth, first of all. That is the summary of everything. Because sleep does never have a magic number. We can never say that this seven to eight hours is what we need at night as adults. It is always a lot dependent upon the way your body is genetically made. There are people who are short sleepers and they can very well do with just four hours of sleep. There are people who need long durations of sleep, like eight to nine hours. But the purpose of sleep is rejuvenation. It is that we should be detoxification and that should, whatever the amount of duration you take, it is individualized; it varies from person to person, and not every two persons are alike. So, just saying that because I'm sleeping for six hours, and why do you need eight hours of sleep? You can be uh, good enough with six hours. That really doesn't make sense. It is prevalent in the society. So many things. So many. You know, we hear everybody saying that adults need six to seven hours, six to seven hours. All in average, that is fine. Most of us do need around six to seven hours of sleep. That is an average uh, duration of sleep that we need at night but it can vary from person to person if somebody is good enough with four hours it's absolutely good though it's a very small number of people who are short sleepers somebody might need more so that there's no magic number however the requirement varies from age, uh, across age spectrum like children they need more duration of sleep as we grow up the duration of sleep or the need for sleep decreases but again i will stress this fact that sleep is something which is unique to you know, it is it is just like charging the battery of your mobile phones. So every phone takes a little bit different time to charge their batteries. The same is with the body unit. You know, it's just like that. It's like it's the working mobile phone for us. So somebody could take some time. Somebody could take some other duration. But it's all fine. As soon as much as long as you wake up fresh in the morning, you don't need that alarm to wake you up. You're you know you're full of energy during the course of the day, and you don't feel lethargic while you're working. So it means you've had your good hours of sleep and that's what we really need. Hours uh, don't matter. It is just a myth that you need six, seven hours. Most of the people need nearly six or seven hours but it varies from person to person.
0: So that's it. And there itself, Shweta, I'm going to challenge you a little bit, because you yeah. mentioned that some people can maybe get away with four hours. And typically, um, there are certain, for example, in Ayurveda, there's a belief that if someone is sleeping four hours, it doesn't necessarily mean that they need only four hours, but something is happening in the nervous system. And certain researchers found that if the nervous system, the auto, nervous system is in a state of hyper alert or fight or flight, then the tendency will be that because there's a surplus of adrenaline that the person may get away with sleeping less number of hours, but that doesn't necessarily mean that is what they need forever. Uh, And maybe so I'm going to challenge you a little bit there to talk a little more into the four hours. So have you in clinical practice seen some someone who's been fine with four hours for a long time. And when you said that they wake up in the morning and they feel refreshed, I mean, I'm just thinking if I'm sleeping four hours, I'm sleeping from midnight to 4 a.m., which really does seems like it's smack in the middle of the night. So let's talk a little bit into the four hours you mentioned before we jump into another myth.
1: Perfect. So it is such a good question and I think it should be enlightening to those who hear us. So what they say, uh, what the uh, Ayurveda charyas or what Ayurveda has to say that if a person is sleeping four hours, then definitely something is wrong with him or her. There has to be some kind of hyperarousal, some kind of autonomic disturbance. Uh, see, this could be. Some people with four hours of sleep, they are not, maybe they, are in, they have insomnia, they have symptoms of hyperarousability at night, they have some other problems. So it's not that everybody who's sleeping for hours is a short sleeper or some people are just sleeping out of their choices. Like some, you know, young adults, college going students, they sleep at three and they wake up at seven for their classes. So it is just the lifestyle that they have built up. And it has nothing to do with their being a short sleeper or they are not actually taking their adequate required sleep. But what I mean to say is a very, very small percentage of people. They are actually, their genotypes and phenotypes have dictated them, have made them in such a way that with those four hours, they neither have hyperarousability. They wake up very early and fresh, four hours or five hours. It's just another, I mean, it's just a number, but it could it is lesser than the normal, what normal average people sleep. And then they wake up fresh. They don't need the alarm to wake up, wake them up. They don't have any kind of drowsiness in the daytime. They're very alert, very active, energetic throughout the day and they sleep again at the right time in the night, and then they wake up after there, maybe four hours or five hours. Uh, in my practice, I've seen people who are happy with five hours of sleep. They say, with five hours, I'm good. And many I've seen, four hours, uh, I don't remember, but five hours, yes, so many, so many. Uh, so that is one thing. Uh, just saying if everybody needs six hours or seven hours and you are sleeping five hours, there's something wrong with you, I challenge it thoroughly, it is not the case. You have to go into an in-depth history of that patient ask the patient about questions regarding how was your night time? Then how was your daytime? Did, see, are you waking up again and again many a time in the night? Is there, you know, hyper arousability? Can you go to sleep easily? The, I mean, you go to bed and in 15, 20 minutes, you are well asleep. You wake up easily in the morning or you need somebody to just push you out of the bed. So if the answer to all these questions is within the normal range, you can say safety that person is, his requirement of sleep is, I mean, he is a short sleeper. Somebody, he says, or she says, I sleep for eight, nine hours. So is it normal? It could be normal. If that is how your body, I mean, that, maybe that is the time your body needs to get recharged. It's perfectly fine. The older version of phones used to take a lot of time. Now they are in the, you know, they are uh, fast charging. So it's fine. It's absolutely good. But uh, this thing, because somebody sleeps four hours, he is having some kind of problems. This statement should be, it is. It is not correct. You have to go into a detailed history and analysis of that patient. Then only we can decide, yes, if this four hours is because his his need is four hours or because he's having some problems as a result of which he's sleeping just four hours. So that differentiation has to be made by, you know, careful history, examination, and, you know, and going in-depth into the sleep uh, uh,
0: and wake patterns of the patient. I appreciate that distinction you made, Shweta, about Uh, you know, if a teenager has perhaps trained themselves to require less sleep, and that is different from someone who actually might require less sleep. That's a good distinction that you made. And I'm truly appreciative of that. However, I think we both might not see eye to eye over this. uh, And we can have perhaps a longer conversation outside of the podcast, because I always find that I'm peeking into a person's history, in more detail if they're sleeping less number of hours. But that's okay, we can absolutely choose to have different views on that. And I think it's important that we bring both perspectives out into the world. And on that note, you did mention a little bit about someone sleeping longer. Now, does it always mean that more sleep means it's better for you? And is this again, fact or myth?
1: So again, another of the myths, which we should really debunk through these uh, uh, sessions of ours. So because most sleep is not always good. So we have this picture of Kumkaran in the Indian mythology, sleeping for six months. And so, so many things are, uh, you know, they're a part and parcel of our mythology and the stories that we've heard as children. It is actually not good to sleep long, 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 long hours because, uh, it uh, If you're sleeping, say, if a person comes and he or she sleep, says that I sleep, you know, whenever I'm sitting idle in the day, I just doze off. Or whenever I'm uh, uh, behind the wheels, I'm uh, on the backseat of the car, I just tend to fall asleep. Something going in the afternoon, going on the television, I'm I'm just drowsy, I'm just drooping down. So is it, it's not good. It certainly means that the person has not received the adequate amount of sleep in the night. The sleep was perhaps fragmented, the sleep was perhaps not of good quality, though the quantity could have been six, seven hours what he needed. But the quality was disrupted as a result of which he's having sleep depth. He has not got what he needed. So he's compensating for it in the daytime. So it's not the more is not always good or less is not always good. We need the optimum sleep in terms of quantity, in terms of quality as well.
0: So that is what I'd like to say. And Shweta, before we go on to the next bit, since we spoke a little bit about uh, the number of hours, how would we know really what is optimal for us? I mean, you and I could be different. Um, So how do we gauge? Is it just that we wake up really refreshed and we are fine throughout the day? Is that one indication? Is there anything else that we can know? Like, let's say I'm sleeping for... um, 10 hours. And you know, the reason I mentioned 10 hours is that for about 20 years, I had to wake up at 3am and drive about 50 60 kilometers for work. And um, when I recently stopped that and switched to working or virtually, and I just uh, said, Okay, I've done this for 20 years waking up with an alarm. Now I'm not going to keep the alarm, I'm going to allow my body to wake up naturally. And Zen Buddhist meditation, like just let the body decide how much sleep is enough. And I found that I was waking up close to 10 hours. Now I feel wonderful when I'm uh, sleeping for close to 10 hours. I feel as if my body's making up for 20 years of sleep debt. Um, So that's just something we can dive a little into before we go on to the next myth.
1: So this is a very, very important question. And often, you know, it's not that well understood. Uh, so how we really uh, try to find out how much is your sleep requirement? So what what are the scientific parameters which we can perhaps use to find out how much sleep you need and how much sleep I need for anybody else in that case? So there are two things. Uh, which we have one, as you mentioned, you always ask the patient that do you wake up early in the morning without the alarm or even if the alarm rings once, you just put it at the stop and then you wake up fresh from the bed, you are able to carry on your activities throughout the day without lethargy, drowsiness, or without sleep, uh, feeling sleepy in an appropriate uh, timing or inappropriate places. So if the answer to all these questions is uh, in affirmation that yes, I'm good enough with that many hours and I don't need uh, somebody to push me out of the bed and I'm happy for the day uh, energetically working. So may, that is perhaps one indication that he or she is getting the adequate duration that is the sleep the person needs. Another is, we always ask the person retrospect, uh, you know, in a retrospective way. Like if supposing I have a patient who says, right now I'm sleeping 14 hours, I, and I don't feel like waking up from the bed, then I always ask him, please remember when you were 20 years of age or 19 years of age, because that's the time when your body homeostasis is that peak. So, uh, so that time, if you uh, imagine those times, what was the time that you were in bed uh, while, you was, uh, while you were 18 or 20? And uh, uh, so many a time they will say that time I used to go to bed at 11 and woke up at six in the morning. And were you fresh throughout the day that time? Yes. Because that is the time most of the people don't have any kind of uh, metabolic derangements or they have, uh, you know, a hormonal disbalances. They have still not set in. Their body physiologically that time is at its zenith. So that is exactly the time when the homeostatic process is determining sleep, the circadian process is determining sleep. They're running in the very optimal state. So as clinicians in sleep, we always ask them, how was it at 20? So he says, six hours was good for me. So I said, "Moby, this is the number, this is the time you really need right now. And whatever extra time you're spending in bed, it could be because of your, insuff- you know, your, your inadequate sleep hygiene, your in- inappropriate sleep-related practices. It could also be because of some comorbidities or diseases which are, which are affecting sleep. So, what are the things that we will, that then we go into an in-depth interview, an in-depth history session with the patient, we find out the reasons behind it. But yes, the age of 1920, when the person is at its physiological zenith, that is the time we always ask retrospective, uh, in a retrospective manner, what was the duration then, and what is the duration now, and when you sleep now, are you fresh throughout the day without an alarm and no drowsiness in
0: the daytime? Those
1: two parameters give us a sufficiently good idea.
0: Lovely, Shweta. And then, you know, there has been, uh, and I've asked this question to several guests who've been on the podcast, and I don't think I've ever got a fully satisfactory answer to this, is that... um if let's say that you're sleeping eight to nine hours, and is is there a difference between sleeping, getting that eight to nine hours at any time of the night, or going to bed at a specific time of the night? And what I mean by this is that there's a lot of talk about the sleep chronotypes and night owl and the morning lark. So, is there a difference in being in sync or harmony with the Earth's diurnal rhythms of light and dark, or Or is it that it's just the number of hours that matters no matter what the time? Is that a myth?
1: Yeah, it is such an important question. If I think if out of this entire episode of our, I should select one question and I would like to just imprint it on the mind of each and every one of our audiences is this one. See, it is not just the hours which matter. It is when you take in those hours that actually also does matter and equally matter because uh, See, naturally, how was the light? It was in the morning. There was the sunlight, so the sunlight gave us an you know impetus, or it gave us the kind of stimulation that it is the time to wake up. Then we went throughout the day. Uh, in the earlier parts of the history of mankind, and there was no light or electricity, then as the day descended, there was darkening, darkness coming, and that was a signal to the suprachiasmatic nucleus in the brain that this is the time you start secreting melatonin hormone. Melatonin comes out in ample. In the evening, it starts up its production, then it goes up, 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 up throughout the night and then starts uh, go, having a downfall in the later course of the night. So melatonin is that hormone which induces sleep. So naturally this is how a rhythm is. The day is there's a gush of cortisol in the morning, there's a gush of so many other hormones. So it is a time when we actually have to wake up. There is no point that I sleep from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. in the night and I will love to work in the night time. That's my way. That is no way, because that is absolutely in desynchrony with how the human uh, sleep wake cycle should be if we have to stay healthy and happy and if we have to keep diseases at bay. Because what, how the body is working, the body is working in synchrony with how the nature's rhythm are. That is the biological clock, and that is the external day and night or the external environmental clock. They have to be in synchrony. Otherwise, why will we have jet lag when we travel overseas or why will we have shift work disorders? So there has, because whenever a clock or whenever the timing is in desynchrony with the nature's time, there has to be, there's bound to be problems. So the timing does matter, but also it matters at what time you take your sleep because sleep is determined by the external day and light. People who are congenitally blind, their sleep cycle is very much disturbed. So there are, you know, there, are, there is a term which we call zeitgebers or entraining agents. So the most important zeitgeber is sunlight which mother nature has given us an ample. So every morning, when you take that sunlight every day in the early part of the day, when you take it, it's a signal, it's time for the day to start. So awake, alert, go ahead. And the night when the night falls, so we get the signal it's time for melatonin to, you know, uh, the levels of concentration to build up. And it's time to go to sleep. That is how it has to be. Anything which is against the laws of nature, it's, it's
0: definitely going to have short term and long term adverse effects on the human body. And there were some nuances to that, Shweta. So I don't want to let you go to the next myth before we break this down a bit. One was, there was an interesting thing you said about how sleep cycles are affected in people who are blind. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: So, you know, there are people who are congenitally blind. What happens is that we in the retina, retina is that part of the eye which uh, senses. There are retinal ganglionic cells, what we call them technically. So they are the cells that sense light. And these light sensations are then carried to the brain, they send it upwards to the suprachiasmatic nuclei, to the other parts of the brain, via so many pathways. And from there, the signal for you know uh, the light-dark cycle or the sleep-wake rhythm gets established by way of secreting melatonin at a specific time. So whenever there is light, melatonin is suppressed, and whenever there is darkness, the, the signal doesn't go, and melatonin secretion is it starts. So that is people who are congenitally blind, many a time they don't have these kinds of retinal ganglion cells. So these people cannot perceive light and their sleep wake cycle is irregular. In such people, because light sensation or, or entrainment is not available, many a time these people become very sensitive to sounds around them. So they can, because something or the other has to give them a hint that this is time to wake up. So food could be a side or food could be that stimulating agent that this is the time when I get my breakfast, so it is the time to wake up. There could be sounds around them from day-to-day activities of their household. That could be an entraining agent. That could signal how to settle a bit of their uh, uh day light uh, circadian rhythm. So this is one thing. There are also blind people, despite the fact that they are blind, because blindness has something to do with your rods and cones. In those, in some a part of those blind people, if these retinal ganglion cells are not damaged, then despite being blind, the rhythm could be. They could be having a little bit of robustness about their rhythm, but mostly blind people also have damaged ganglionic cells as a result of which the rhythms are also in uh, not like uh, uh, people who are not blind and the rhythms are irregular.
0: Very, very interesting, Shweta. And on, you know, this is where you also come across that there's a whole world trying to biohack their way through sleep because you mentioned that sunlight is a cue and so therefore we are we're moving into the world where people are trying to have red lights to work later into the night and then uh, blackout curtains so that they don't wake up early in the morning so we're really trying to bypass these cues of uh, the rhythms of nature and what are your thoughts on trying to uh, bypass these cues of nature? Uh, actually, what you are saying, it's, it's really true.
1: Even when I observe it, it it's something which really pains me, especially when I see young adults in their early 20s and in their 30s, and they sleep till in late hours in the night, and their rooms are brightly lit with artificial lights, studying, talking with friends and into their virtual world, and sleeping till late in the morning, and then considering it's nothing. It's, it's innocuous. It's harmless. That's what they feel. So the more that we are going uh, in desynchrony or the more that we are running away from how nature uh, expects us to be in terms of sleep-wake patterns, the more harm we are doing to our body, that is the reason why metabolic diseases are on a rise. Why, what's the reason why India and, and in other countries as well, what's the reason why heart disease are just like, that they're so rampant? Why is diabetes on the rise? Why is it that hypertension is so common? Why is it that every second person who is more than fifty years of age, we find some kind of pills they are taking? So it's what it's what we are seeing. Now even our elders, we feel that I am taking a pill for hypertension, and me for diabetes, and me for to keep my triglyceride under check, something or the other. So it's because now the generation, and I'm I'm very sure if this it keeps going, so the next generation, that is generation of uh, like our generation, and especially those who are not taking this seriously, sleep and wake timings they'll be taking even more pills. So it's just maybe one or two, they'll have a box full of pills because they have to compensate for everything normal that they're debunking. Because they're not going the normal way. So if you're not doing how things should be done, will it lead to the kind of results that, that, that you should get? It's like there's a recipe towards a certain thing and you're making it your own way. Despite you could be putting every good and best ingredient into it, but if the basic thing that is there, if it's lacking, it will never turn out to be how it should be. So that's how our body is. You cannot, you cannot create nature. You cannot create an artificial nature. To what extent you go on doing it, there'll be a breakout someday. So it's better to go and sync with what the natural things are and you'll have a happy and healthy life. I really believe it. And it is something that has to be brought into, you know, it has to sink into everybody's mind that how important is it to be in synchrony with
0: the nature's rhythm, to be healthy and to lead a good life. Beautiful, Shweta, you really spoke about that so perfectly. And I think, um, just to recap for our listeners, what I really took from that is when you spoke about the box of pills, and then you know, you're trying to bypass nature and then overcompensate for the repercussions of these kind of choices. And I think you're coming back to what is the problem everywhere in terms of health is that we're looking at complex solutions before addressing the very very simple basic protocols and I think that's a great thing that you said in this episode debunking sleep myths Dr. Kanchan helped us to debunk several of the common myths in the sleep world we did disagree on the concept of sleep hours and I would like to conclude with my take I truly believe that sleeping 4 to 5 hours is not something which is normal. I agreed with Dr. Kanchan that we cannot tell someone that there is something wrong with them. That might be more stressful. If this is you or someone you know, be open and patient but do dig deeper. High adrenaline can make it seem as though you need very little sleep. In Ayurveda, Vata aggravation especially when severe, is a reason for sleeping too little. This might not be what you really need, but what you think you need based upon your present state of health. I've had clients who think that calming down, slowing down and getting more sleep is abnormal. And I have to reiterate to them that they are shifting into a parasympathetic state and sleeping more and slowing down is a wonderful thing. All I would ask you to do today is to embrace the possibility of something different while exploring with gentle curiosity. Have a great day. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified Professional, please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition. Be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. Be sure to subscribe to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches.